0: Hello, my name is Jake Hardiman.
1: And I'm Joanna Bailey.
0: Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we have for you this week.
1: Coming up today, I'll take a look at a recent tragic event on the ground in Texas, while Jake tells us about a United Airlines 737 getting a new lease of life.
0: Joe will tell us why extra legroom in the exit row may become a thing of the past, while I look at the anniversary of an incredible engineering feat.
1: Finally, I'll see why NASA is pulling the plug on its electric plane project without a single flight.
0: So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. And unfortunately, some sad news from you, Jay, to begin with.
1: It is. And I don't like to kick off with a downer, but let's get it out of the way so we can get on to more of the good news stories. Um, But I want to start by going way back to the end of last year, where at Montgomery Regional Airport in Alabama, um, we got reports of a passenger service agent for American Eagle who was tragically killed when they were ingested into an aircraft engine. It's since been revealed that person was named Courtney Edwards and reportedly she got too close to the E175's engine and was sucked in. Sounds like a terrible way to go. Um, The airline involved was was Piedmont, which was fined $15,000 for the safety breach. Um, OSHA found a lack of effective training, communication and instructions that all contributed to her death. But this isn't the end of the story because on Friday last week, we started to get reports that there'd been a terrible accident at San Antonio Airport in Texas... Um, As the day went on, we heard that somebody had actually passed away as a result of this accident. Um, And it was somebody working, servicing a Delta Airlines flight from Los Angeles when the incident occurred. As the weekend went on, more details emerged. I was working this weekend, so had to field all those horrible emails, um, which suggested that person had also been ingested into the engine of the airplane. This time, the airplane involved was an Airbus A319. So what went wrong? You know, this is not a regular occurrence by any state of the imagination. Um, You know, suction from jet engines is very strong. So ingestion is a hazard um, for anyone who's not aware of the safety policies and guidelines regarding aircraft maintenance, baggage handling, catering and other ramp activities. So what's actually happening here is the turbofan creates an area of low pressure where it's pulling in the air that's close to the engine's intake very quickly. This could cause an unsuspecting employee to kind of be swept off their feet and tragically sucked in Um, The risk of ingestion actually increases dramatically when the aircraft are lower to the ground as employees are more closely exposed to the engines. It then rises again when you're dealing with shorter aircraft like the E-175 and A-319 because the openings like the baggage loading door are located closer to the engines than on longer planes. But as I said before, this isn't a common problem in aviation. So to have two situations so close in time to one another is definitely going to raise some questions about safety on the ramps. For example, Boeing states that there have only been 33 recorded incidents of ingestion involving the 737 since its introduction in 1969. Um, Only one of those was actually fatal and that was 15 years ago. So this is really unusual. Um, Of course, the NTSB are investigating this newest incident and I would imagine there may well be some changes coming to ramp safety requirements, particularly when these smaller aircraft are being handled. Um, But it is a tragic situation. It's awful what happened in San Antonio, equally awful what happened in Alabama six months ago. Um, but hopefully, there'll be some learning processes going on from this, and there'll be things put in place to better protect airport workers going forward. Jake.
0: Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, they say that regulations are, are written in blood and, unfortunately, sometimes it's events like this that cause things to be changed for the better. So, yeah, if, if nothing else, hopefully safer regulations can come out of that, I suppose.
1: Definitely. I do hope so. Well, tell us something good. Tell us something about a, an airplane that reached the end of its life but has been given a new life.
0: Absolutely. So, yeah, this, um, this involves a United Airlines or former United Airlines, as it is now, Boeing 737-200, uh, that flew for many, many decades, carrying passengers all over the world um, at different carriers, of which United was the most notable, um, but has now um, yeah, become a holiday accommodation of all things. Um, so some listeners might know about hotels and restaurants that have um, taken place upon old wide bodies. For example, there's a Boeing 747 in Stockholm that I very much want to stay on. Um, and also in Ghana, a DC-10 has been converted into a restaurant. Um, and that's all well and good, but what if you wanted an aircraft to yourself um, and your family? And that's where narrow body aircraft come in. Um, And one that's set to hit the UK market is this former United 737-200 that an entrepreneur named Stephen Northam has got hold of uh, for just £5,000 or uh, $6,300, which is absolutely a steal, even if um, it can't fly anymore. Um, And yeah, what he's done is taken the the front section of the fuselage, including the cockpit, and turned it into a a holiday accommodation. So in addition to the cost of buying the airframe itself, he invested another £3,000 to relocate it to the Hampshire countryside in southern England, and then spent another 15,000 restoring it into what is um, now a fully functioning holiday property. Um, and away from the, the fuselage itself, um, the engine cowlings have also been um, incorporated into the site, with one being a hot tub and the other being nice. a seating area. <laughs> um, the aviation theme continues inside as well um, as you board the, uh, the three-bed accommodation via air stairs of course um, and if you're wanting to be kept in- entertained as well as your usual tvs and games consoles the cockpit has actually been turned into a flight simulator with 49 inch curved screens
1: that's very so cool
0: it's, it's very nice to see that um yeah it's, it's heritage is carrying on um for its guests as well i mean even after it stopped flying it uh, remained in the industry as a crew trainer and then, yeah, the conversion took place over three months uh, in summer last year. And it's called the Marwell Mile High. And the website um, states that it's about to have an update online regarding bookings um, which aren't open at the moment but they they hope they will be shortly Um, and yes on that website um, people can register their interest online and I'm sure there'll be plenty of interest um, (laughs) because AvGeeks being as we are we love uh, staying in in themed accommodation just like that one I don't know if you've ever heard of anything quite like that yourself Joe.
1: I haven't not for an entire rental Airbnb I mean there's lots of like you say restaurants and people that have converted planes into their own homes but this looks like a great opportunity and i have to say the the cowling hot tub absolutely sold it for me you know i can just see me in the hot tub with a glass of wine my husband will be up in the cockpit in the flight simulator and we'll be having a lovely time <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it doesn't get better than that does it
1: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely um, but one thing that isn't getting any better um, is uh, potentially the extra leg room you get in the econ- in the emergency exit rows so you know flying economy you don't get a lot of personal space but you do if you're willing to pay for it in the extra leg room uh, of the emergency exit rows sometimes full service carriers will even let you pick these positions at no additional cost which is great um, there are some restrictions of course you have to be able to handle the emergency exit door or window in the event of an incident um, you have to be over 15 years old but you know largely these rows are particularly popular positions for most travellers uh, but maybe not for much longer because at the Paris Air Show, seat maker Recaro officially released its new seat for Airbus narrowbodies that could end the extra legroom for good. So this particular seat is known as the X10 seat, uh, which makes it sound like it's actually going to give you more legroom, which I think was a a bit naughty. (laughs) Um, But it's designed to allow airlines to fly the maximum passenger capacity with no additional legroom required for for emergency exit rows. Well, how on earth does it do this? Well, to kind of figure that out, you have to consider why that row has the extra leg room in the first place. So, you know, you've probably got, I don't know, maybe around 36 inches of pitch, maybe 90 centimetres um, in an exit row seat. And this is because passengers need to be able to rapidly access the emergency exits in case that sort of situation ever arises. So that bit of extra space gives people room to walk through the row to the exit without kind of having to squeeze past the seat pans. So, Ricara has come up with a solution for this. Um, it's basically a very narrow seat pan until you sit down. And once your weight goes onto it, a kind of extension flips up to turn the seat into a standard size seat. So, you know, when it's parked, you'll walk in and you'll, you'll kind of, I guess, think, oh, gosh, that's a really small seat. But then you sit down and it flips up and becomes normal. And as soon as you stand up again, for example, in an emergency exit situation, it flips back down and creates that space for people to walk through. So you know, it is quite an intelligent product. I imagine most passengers are absolutely going to hate it, but I think the airlines might just love it, particularly a low-cost carrier. Um, Ricardo says that the additional space this product has will gives the airline will allow the airlines to operate Airbus A320s at their maximum capacity. So, for example, the A320 itself has a maximum exit limit. What do you call it? Let me start that again. <laughs> So, for example, the A320, as we're talking about, has an exit limit or maximum capacity of 194 passengers. But to date, airlines and Airbus haven't found a way to get that many people on board. Today, the maximum people you'll find on a 320 is around 188. So by squeezing all the rows together with this lovely new product from Ricaro, they can put an extra couple of rows in and get a bit closer to that maximum exit limit of 194. So this isn't entirely a new product. Recaro first unveiled it back in 2019 at the Crystal Cabins Awards. But the news now is that it's working with Airbus to bring the product to market on the A320 family and potentially the A220 as well. Um, There is a downside to this, of course, because if an airline installs the extend, it will no longer have those extra legroom emergency seats that it could potentially sell for ancillary revenue. Um, But, uh, you know, it's still not certified either. That takes a while. And then you've got the kind of balance of the expense of refitting cabins and the loss of that ancillary revenue. So personally, I think it could be some time before we see the extend on a real airplane. But it's always interesting to see how they're thinking about maximising profitability from every single aircraft and potentially upsetting some passengers too
0: (laughs) yeah absolutely it'll be uh, an interesting balance for them to weigh up i mean as a as a taller gentleman i those are some of my favorite rows when i'm flying on a low-cost carrier (laughs) where pitch might otherwise be a premium yeah but then um equally that could bring down per seat ticket fares generally
1: that's Um, very true that's so yeah lots to consider definitely
0: yeah, I guess that's that's one way of serving the uh, the demand that thankfully is booming at the moment as well.
1: <laughs> thankfully. Um, but you want to step back in time right now. Jake's going to tell us about something that happened even before I was born. Gosh, that must have been a long time ago, Jake. <laughs>
0: Absolutely, just the 80 years ago um, in this instance. Yeah, so, uh, so just last week, Airbus and BAE Systems were celebrating a record-breaking feat that took place at what is now the Airbus Broughton factory up in North Wales. So this was in 1943. Uh, that Vickers-Armstrong produced a Wellington bomber in record time. Obviously, being at the the height of the war effort, the factory was already incredibly busy, um, churning out 28 Wellington bombers a week with 6,000 workers uh, going through 12-hour shifts to to get those done to support the war effort. Um, But the uh, the UK government wondered if they could go one better and uh, beat the record for the time taken from the first bolt being laid down to an aircraft getting off the ground. Uh, Now, this at the time stood at 48 hours and had been set in California, but the UK government wanted to get this down to 30 hours in order to boost public morale, as well as showcasing to the country's foreign allies that it was still a manufacturing powerhouse, despite the impact of the conflict that had been raging for several years. Um, and incredibly they didn't just get to 30 hours but they got some six hours below that um, and according to Airbus the pre-assembly of certain parts of this aircraft uh, whose serial number was LN514 meant that the build itself took just 23 hours and 48 minutes from uh, from start to end uh, and uh, one hour later the aircraft lifted off um, to make a total time of 24 hours and 48 minutes um, obviously this was much quicker than anyone had budgeted for to the extent that they actually had to wake the test pilot up early um, who had been expecting (laughs) to come in to fly it in the afternoon but instead had to do it in the morning because they'd built it so quickly. Um, now, this feat later that year, in October 1943, became the subject of a famous uh, Ministry of Information newsreel. Um, the exact date isn't known because obviously, with it being the wartime, things like that were very secretive. Um, mm. But Airbus and BA systems chose to pay tribute to it last week as that coincided with International Women in Engineering Day. Um, obviously, being a, uh, a wartime year in 1943, um, many... Uh, yeah, working-age men were away on active service. Um, So they chose to have it on this day to highlight the fact that there are actually a lot of women involved in this record-breaking feat. Um, And yeah, it's something that you can't really imagine today. Um, Having visited factories myself, they're very impressive facilities, but there isn't the, the space necessarily to be throwing one aircraft together that quickly nowadays so <laughs> no. uh, very impressive
1: <laughs> it is very impressive I mean you've got to think that's all done by hand back then as well there was none of this kind of robots um, helping along the production lines so very impressive stuff absolutely. I, know. I hope they make a film of that one day I think it would be a great story <laughs> it
0: would wouldn't it yeah
1: <laughs> but what about something
0: uh, more futuristic from you to finish absolutely
1: off yeah so I just want to start by having a bit of a reflection on Paris Airshow because it was only over a little while ago I know you guys, it's over, it's over. But we still like to talk about it because we like to keep the magic alive for as long as possible. Um, One of the real key themes of this year's Paris Air Show was without doubt sustainability. Um, And, you know, there were lots of concepts of future hybrid electric or all-electric air vehicles, lots of talk about sustainable aviation fuel, um, lots of talk about hydrogen as well. Um, But there's one company that's not really going any further with its electric airplane project. And that is NASA, which is rather a surprise because they tend to lead the way in these X-plane projects. Um, The one that it's actually pulling the plug on is called the X-57 Maxwell, uh, which was going to be a modified version of the P-206T, which is a twin-engined aircraft designed by Italian aircraft manufacturer Tecnam. So NASA was working on bringing it um, into the electric aviation world by powering it with batteries and It was going to be all electric eventually. the design was really cool, actually, because they put six electric motors on each wing, each of the leading edges of the aircraft, and then a larger motor on the very end of the wing tip of each wing. So that it made a total of 12 small motors and two big ones, um, which is one of the issues with electric aircraft, you know, is having a motor big enough that can actually provide the thrust for lift off without weighing the aircraft down with a great big piece of metal. So this was a kind of interesting concept that I'd been following along for a little while. Um, The idea was that the 12 small motors along the wing's leading edge would be used for takeoff. But once it reached altitude and began cruising, the propellers of the motors folded inwards to reduce drag. And then the larger wingtip motors were used for propulsion while cruising. But it's not going to happen, so that's sad. Um, What went wrong? Well, it seems that electric aircraft technology available today is just not advanced enough for NASA to be able to use this aircraft safely in flight. Um, they specifically said that battery technology just isn't there yet. Um, and it's interesting because the reveal that NASA was abandoning its electric plane project came very shortly after Technum also announced that its own electrification project known as the P-Volt is also being suspended. They also cited that battery technology available was not economically viable for operations. So... Um, There were other problems with the Maxwell, the X-57. Um, For example, the programme was supposed to run on an investment of £40 but it went over that a little bit. In fact, it faced an additional £47 in cost overruns, (laughs) so more than doubled its budget, which I'm sure didn't please um, NASA's purse string holders. Um, The testing of the X-57, therefore, is going to come to an end. But it's not all for naught, because the research that's been done and the knowledge that's been gathered is definitely still valuable valuable. Um, A guy called Brad Flick, who is the director of NASA's Armstrong Flight Research Centre, commented, NASA's goal is to drive innovation through groundbreaking research and technology development. The X-57 project team has done just that by providing foundational information to the industry through lessons learned. And we're seeing the benefits borne out by American commercial aviation companies that are aiming to change the way we fly. Um, You know, it's not that electric airplanes won't work. It's that this electric airplane won't work i do think it's still you know there's a long way to go we have seen a lot of support for things like the alice um for the casio 330 which is a hybrid electric aircraft uh we've also seen that um, aura aero which is the french startup with an electric plane actually looks very similar to the alice actually um they got a lot of love at the paris air show in terms of orders and letters of interest and zero avia had a really good air show as well with lots of people opting for their hydrogen electric air. Engines and saying that they were going to buy them in the future. So I don't think the NASA project abandonment is necessarily a bad thing. Uh, but it is a shame because I was hoping that the X-57 Maxwell would one day take off the ground. Um, and now it definitely won't. So bye bye for now, Maxwell. Yeah.
0: <laughs> perhaps a bit of a surprise when you do think of NASA as being somewhere at the forefront of innovation in these fields. But I guess it is, a, it's a business at the end of the day. And if exactly. they were already twice over the budget, perhaps it was not going to be viable in the long term.
1: Exactly, exactly. I think, you know, they did start that very early and, you know, they've taught us a lot of stuff along the way and I'm sure NASA will be back with a new X-Plane project very soon. Um, before we sign off for the day, though, I do want to mention that we have a really exciting event coming up this week. Uh, it's the next in our instalment of future flying webinars um, and this will be in conversation with a lovely man called Rayna Tau, CEO of My Airline. Now, if you haven't heard of My Airline, it's a Malaysian startup, it's a low-cost carrier. It's actually started its first flights in December and already has expanded to having eight aircraft operating to nine destinations. And later this week, it's launching its first international flight to Bangkok. So it's a really exciting time for this startup. And uh, Rainer is a very um, entertaining person to chat to. So do join us. Um, We'll be going live on June 28th at eight o'clock in the morning, um, GMT or three o'clock in the afternoon in Malaysia or five o'clock in the evening in Australia. um, And it's a relaxed and informal conversation conversation that's free and open for every, everyone to enjoy. Please do just head to our YouTube channel and you'll see it in the video list there. Um, hope to see you all there. Hopefully, you'll be coming too, Jake. <laughs>
0: yes, absolutely. now. looking forward to it. It's, um, it's a good time for startups.
1: It really is. Absolutely. Well, I think that's all we've got time for on today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed our chit chat and welcome any feedback at editorial at simpleflying.com.
0: For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying.
1: If you enjoyed the podcast, please do leave us a rating on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.